What did you want to talk about? No, 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 because it'll just, it's just to, yeah, it'll reignite a a whole Twitter storm thing. Well, it won't. It's probably passed by. And I actually haven't listened to your, to the podcast where you talked about it. I assumed you talked about it on the podcast. Well, we don't normally talk about news and things. With Simon. I thought you did. I thought you mentioned. Yeah, we did. Yeah. A little bit. Okay. I still haven't read the Marcus Hearn piece that went with it. I've avoided that, so I don't get bogged oh, down. Oh, the, 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 edi- the editorial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think it was un- unfortunate. I thought. I don't know but what I the editorial it, said. I think it was it was sort of effectively saying it was of its time. Yeah, but they kind of said that in the time team. But they were more negative, and the editorial was sort of trying to redress that balance. But I think you can't really redress that balance with talents of Wang Jiang. No, I and, think and I think the attempt, the attempt, they would have been better just to just to let the time team have their own voice. Yeah, and just kind of what the time make team an edi- make an editorial about something else. Yeah, but the Twitter, the whole Twitter conversation, that was sort of grossly inflated and. And but it started because of Sandifer's comment about the editorial. Well, it started with Sandifer's original essay, which was. Which I thought was good, and and but the essay was before the time team. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so this, so, so this, so this kind of fractiousness has happened before. So mm. it's it's constantly revolving. But I think fractiousness revolves around her tweet that if Talons of Wen Chiang is your favourite ever Doctor Who story, then you should then, go and hang yourself. Then you're racist. Then yeah. you're racist, or you're naturally racist, which. You could interpret as if you like Talons of Wen Chiang, that makes you racist. But I think what she's doing slightly, sort of, slightly brutally and probably provocatively, is saying if if the race, if the racistness, or if the race elements of Talons of Wen Chiang aren't enough to bump it off the top spot yeah, in your yeah. list of all time Doctor Who stories, then you aren't respecting the races, the racistness of it. But inside the story, there is a commentary on the racism. Because there are several ironic comments about it. There are, but... But it's not much of a commentary, but there is a little bit of commentary there. But but the problem was, the time team only watched the first episode. Yeah. So there's only one example of that in the first episode. Mm. And until you get the other examples, you don't realise that they're... What are the examples? Them genuinely... Well, there's in the first. Oh, I can't. I can't. I'm terrible with quoting things. Mm. In the first episode, there's yeah. a bit where Tom Baker says, um, "I was attacked by that little person and those four little people over there." Right. Yes. Yeah. Which, on the face of it, sounds like he's just making a racist comment. Right. Except this is the Doctor. Yeah. So the Doctor wouldn't make a racist comment without it meaning something else. Okay. So. On so the he, face of he's it, he's being ironic because he's talking to the policeman who he knows would would be, be racist. racist. Okay, and yeah. throughout the rest of the story, there are about two or three more instances of yeah. the doctor saying apparently racist things to people that he would expect to be racist. Yeah, yeah. which is an ironic commentary on the audience watching the program. A bit right? like the third doctor talking about being at the club with. Oh, probably, yeah. When he's basically taking the piss out Out of of a guy who would want to be at the club with Tony Rollins, exactly. Yeah, I'd I'd accept that. But if you don't, but if you only watch the first episode, no, 
then you yeah. don't get the other examples. Yeah. So you don't realise that that's the thing it's doing. Yeah. Because you just take that first one on yeah. face value until you get the other ones that kind of cement the idea. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the Forest, issue was, yeah. the issue was they're sitting there watching first episodes. Yeah. They should be watching whole stories. Obviously, if they were watching whole stories instead of sitting down for an evening and doing an hour and a half to two and a half hours of television, they'd yeah. be sitting down for three evenings on the trot. I suspect even watching the rest of the story, they probably wouldn't because they might not the, get it. The, the other bits, the the sort of the yellow face acting, and. My my idea about Talons, how to make Talons of Wayne Chiang immediately not racist, if I was writing it, if I was writing Talons of Wayne Chiang, how to improve Talons of Wayne Chiang. But this is, because, of course, 41 years ago. Because well. there weren't Chinese magicians in the Victorian time. There were Western magicians made up to look like Chinese yeah, yeah, magicians. Yeah. And so, so that's actually a tradition. So if you made the character of Li San Chang, uh, actually, have you, you've seen... Iron Man 3. No. It's the, the Iron Man 3 solution where they have, there's a character called the Mandarin in Iron Man who's an arch villain and he's a sort of Fu Manchu like yeah. character. And this is spoilers for Iron Man 3. Okay. They have the Mandarin. They spoilers. Have, they have the Mandarin in Iron Man 3 played by Ben Kingsley as a kind of a sort of a, actually mm. a Middle Eastern sort of yeah, yeah. slightly Oriental figure. And he turns out to be an actor called Trevor right, from yeah. Croydon. Who's been hired to play well, this, this Mandarin? The the other solution is instead of having a a white person or having, yeah, play, or having a, yeah, you have or, or you have John Bennett in his yellow face makeup mm. playing a Chinese guy who's pretending to be an English guy pretending to be a Chinese guy. Yeah, I think that's my that's my solution to it. Oh, right, is, okay. is you still have John Bennett, but he's actually playing. An English guy pretending to be a Chinese guy. Oh, no, no, and no. that's a reveal. No, oh, John you've, you've added another layer. You no, know, another layer. <laughs> no, I think that would be even better. Right. To have John Bennett... Well, no, it wouldn't be better in terms of John Bennett would be in yellow face. Because yeah. you can't get past that. No. But if John Bennett is going to be in yellow face, then he plays a Chinese guy yeah. pretending to be an English guy pretending to be a Chinese guy. Right. Okay. And it kind of does, because he does the whole... Well, he puts it, it, he on, puts on, it on, on the stage. stage. This is, the, then, this is yeah. the thing. And if they'd have got to episode four, the time team, they at least would have seen the resolution for that character. Yeah. Because yeah. that character is the most, not the cleverest, because mm. he doesn't have the education that, say, um, Lightfoot has. Yeah. But the most intelligent character in it is probably Lee Sen Chang. But, but almost that's still, that's still a problem because part of the part of the racism of the time is that it's not that the Chinese are stupid. It's that they're devious, they're manipulators. And so they play play with that. So it's the sort of the sinister kind of, and you can't get away from from that in in Talons. It's the the underworld. But the only option then is to not tell the story. Yeah, yeah. But if you're going to tell the story, you're kind of left with that deck of cards, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. So there's not really a solution. No. no. So, uh, well, that last five minutes was all for nothing. <laughs> well, at least it was five minutes. Hey, I can't... You can't throw your hands up in the air and seriously say there's no racism in that story. No. But by the same token, I don't think you can say, if you like that story, then you must be a racist. No. Because that's kind of... Mm-hmm. So... 
So, because you can appreciate something, so even that's if not, you realize. So that's not what Sandifer says. Well, no, but it's, it's very explicitly if this story is still your favorite ever Doctor Who story, right? And I think she says it provocatively, and I don't think she's right. Oh no, yeah. But but I think people read that, and I think the Twitter storm comes from people saying, "But I'm not. I like Talons of Wenchai. I'm not racist." And Sandifer says, "Well, I like." Talons, she likes Talons of Wen Chiang as well. It's, she doesn't just about dislike. She favorite. doesn't dislike the story. It's just whether it's enough to like tip it off that top spot. And there's another article. That, oh yeah, but that's an entirely different argument. I mean, it's it's kind of as a as a tweet goes, whether people are offended by it or not is diff- is is a separate thing to whether it's caused people to have conversations about but racism you, in Doctor Who and racism in general. Yeah, but then thing. you've got to get to the point where you say almost the entire first 30 years of Doctor mm. Who, the monsters are the baddies because they're the monsters. Yes. And that is a form of racism in itself. So Racism by allusion. Interestingly, what came out of this whole debate was another article by, I think it was Kate Orman. Mm. No, it wasn't. It was another article on Sandifer's blog, which is a huge... It was I had to stop reading it after a time, which looked at racism and Doctor Who and pointed out that basically from an unearthly child onwards, yeah. there's just repeated... Yeah, racism, racism by allusion, yeah, yeah. essentially. And that's not... And that's not I do, but I don't, I don't read that sort of article and think, well, I've got to stop liking the smugglers or yeah, yeah. Uh, Crusade... I, 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 read it thinking, I read it thinking I should be reading this because this is it's important that I understand that these things are here and I I understand what race. It's not even is. just that. Every time there's an alien species, mm. I mean, uh, yeah, he said that this article suggested that the Daleks. I mean, the Daleks. Well, is the Daleks is the because the Aryan Aryan Well, the Daleks is um, disabled. Right. It's essentially the Daleks is essentially equating people in wheelchairs with Nazis. Yeah. That yeah. that is probably the most problematic thing that's ever been in Doctor Who. Well also, I mean that's yeah, and that's also riding on the back of a tradition of making villains the disabled I yeah. mean James yeah. Bond yeah. James Bond's every James Bond novel, the villain has some sort of disability. Yeah, yeah. And it still it still happens. It's about deformity and disability and making it, you sinister. I don't even think it's really stopped these days. No, no, it still goes on. Yeah. It still goes on. So uh, so you can't so you can't single out no, Talents no, of Wang Chiang no. above all these other stories. No. Especially all the Dalek stories. Yeah. It's just you know, once you start, it's a bit more on the surface. Yeah, and in terms well, of yeah, I'm not sure. It, I okay, it's a bit more on the surface in Talons of Wang Chang than it is in a lot of stories, but I don't think it's more on the surface of Talons of Wang Chang than it is in the Daleks because the Daleks no. kind of makes it explicit. Yeah, that the Daleks are disabled people. Yes, I mean it, that's entirely explicit in the dialogue, let alone yeah. on the screen. Yeah. And the Thals as their Aryans are the good people. Mm. That's a story with so many problems. Yeah. And every time the Daleks come back, those problems don't go away. Well, Davros kind of yeah. is at home. Well, absolutely. So Genesis of the Daleks is perhaps the most problematic Doctor Who story that's ever been told. That sounds like a tweet. Well, <laughs> but then, then just go the next 
rung down the ladder, the Cybermen. That's just about as problematic. Yeah. I mean, yeah. all of them are. Every story. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think you could find a single Doctor Who story from the classic series, and probably most of them from the new series. There are examples in the new series where they don't even touch on any of those things. Mm. So yeah. something like The Girl Who Waited, just for one random example, doesn't touch on any of those no. issues. So maybe there are a few in the new series, but even yeah. most of the new series has got the same sorts of issues. I mean, if you dig down into anything that's been written, yeah. you find the the misconceptions or the bigotry of the author. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is just it's... anything we've written will at some point or on some level include our own our own preconceptions and our own... And you look at Towns of Wang Chiang and you can't say that what Robert Holmes does with the Chinese people is any worse than what he does with the Irish guy. No. Really? Yeah. I mean, it's a different thing. Yeah. yeah. But but it's still on the same level. It's still the same yeah. presentation of uh, generalisation, mm. a negative generalisation, Yeah. essentially. And in fact, what he does with um, Jago... Yes, is just as generalising about a certain type of person, and I I could be getting this completely wrong, but I think if you trace the lineage of the character Jago back, you'd probably find that's got something to say about the Romanies or something like that. It's a history of. I'm looking at the history. It's of, possible. Yeah, I seem to remember I've read something about this or something somewhere that if you trace the history of those theatre impresarios back right. it comes back to a certain specific racial stereotype as well yeah. so even right. Jago becomes a racial stereotype if you go that deep in yeah but on the other hand it's just a great good fun story it is my favourite Doctor Who story <laughs> um oh, before we start <laughs> seen as a yeah ten minutes okay yeah. yeah 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 um did you listen to the Thing with Tom Spilsbury last week. I did. There was one thing I meant to get to at the end that I forgot. Okay. And okay, although Tom's not here and it would have been better to get Tom's perspective on it, I might as well bring it up. Okay. But I mean, Tom's got such an understanding of these things. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I was going to talk about the AIs okay. and the iPlayer. Yeah. And I meant to bring that up when I was doing the whole iPlayer stuff. But the thing about... Well, we got to the point where we were talking about the live viewers versus catch-up. Right. And the AIs are only counted amongst the live viewers. And I don't know if you remember, but we were talking about making an appointment to view after the fact. Right. If you make an appointment to view after the fact, in other words, if you download it on iPlayer or record it to watch later, then you are more likely to be somebody who's likely to score the programme higher Right. Then somebody who watches it live, because the chances are you're going to get a much greater degree of people watching it live who are not as interested as the people who bothered to download or record to save. Right. So concomitantly, as when the iPlayer comes in, in about 2010 or so is when it really starts to pick up, and smart TVs and things like that. Concomitantly, the people who are more likely to give it a higher AI score are the people whose AI scores are no longer being counted. Right. So although the AIs are still in pretty much the ballpark, they've fallen from about an average of 88 to about an average of six, 82. Yeah. So they've fallen yeah. about six points. Right. But 
that six points can probably mostly be accounted for, yeah. or at least a degree of it can be accounted for by the number of people who are now watching on catch up. Okay. So, uh, I just wanted to make that point as we were. Getting so, is, to the, that. is my my impression of what was said was basically AIs mean less now than they did before because you don't you have fewer accidental viewers. All. Mm. Or, or most viewing these days is appointment is people actually deciding to view rather than turning on the TV and seeing what's yeah what's happening. Although we didn't go over it, we didn't really get to it. But there are still well, we did sort of talk about it, but we didn't make the point that if you've still got more than fifty percent of people who watch live in SD on right. ITV, as we put it. If you've still got more than 50% of people doing that, then you still are getting quite a high percentage of, you know, not as many as you would have done back in the 60s and 70s. Yeah. But you've still got a fairly high number of people who are casual in that sense. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, some of the things we were talking about, things that may and are likely to happen in the future, but they're still a ways off yet, as we said. Anyway, should we do the actual podcast we came to do? Okay, I'm ready. Okay. Uh, I'm not even going to bother to do the introduction. I'll put some music in here, and then I'll say, Hi, I'm JR. And I'm Matt. And Simon didn't make it. Hang on, so you're not doing the introduction? You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next 60 minutes, we're going to be talking about Doctor Who, so you don't have to. I'm Jaya. Hi, I'm Matt. And is Simon... It, I couldn't... <laughs> you needed to hear that like, line. It's like neatness. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, that's your OCD coming out. Well, you did it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you weren't going to do it. It didn't take much to get you to do it. Oh, God, I thought I disappointed you. No, no, no. no. All right. Um, Simon couldn't make it. Yeah. Lee's still doing his busy summer things. Mm-hmm. So it's just the two of us. And we've not got a lot to talk about, so it's probably good we had nearly 20 minutes of preamble. We'll, this is we'll find last. stuff. We'll find stuff. This is ostensibly our Series 11 preview episode. <laughs> but there is still absolutely nothing known about Series 11, so there ain't a great deal to talk well, about. Well, I haven't been I haven't been on the podcast since the writers were revealed. Oh, do you want to say something about the writers? Not really. I can't remember who they are. Well, I've got a list. Okay. I've got a sheet of paper here where I've taken various things from various interviews over the last few days. So we can react. So I've got a handful of quotes and a few other things. Yeah. And essentially, for anybody who listens who doesn't want spoilers, we won't be talking about anything that's not already out in the public domain. Apart from maybe a couple of minor points, okay, like actors who are known to be in it because their spotlight accounts got um, a reference to Doctor Who on it, yeah. But we we're not. I've not been on spoiler threads, so I'm not going to talk about anything that people on spoiler threads are talking about. Okay. So this is all public domain stuff. Okay. So if you don't want to listen to the rest of this episode, because you don't want any spoilers at all, Lee. Yeah, fair enough. 
But I mean, if you're happy to listen to us talk about stuff that's in the public domain, that's what we'll be doing. Um, the writers. You've got Mallory Blackman. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ed Hein. Peter McTie. Vinay Patel. And Joy Wilkinson. So... I've heard of Mallory Blackman. Well, she's a not Mallory good. Blackman OBE, isn't she? Is she? Is she really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Or CBE. Oh, okay. it's one of her other. Okay. She's certainly got um, some kind of public recognition in that area. As right. a children's author, essentially. Yeah. Or a young adult author as well. Mm-hmm. We did talk about it, me and Simon. Or Simon and I. I mean, what strikes me is the fact that I haven't heard of them. Yeah. And that makes it slightly more exciting for me. Because I don't know what sort of... What to expect. So in the past, I've known that a Mark Gatiss episode will feel like a Mark Gatiss episode or Gareth Roberts episode would be very Gareth mm. Robertsy. Yeah, I made this point. And these, uh, you know, yeah. no idea. You kind of know what kind of dialogue, what kind of characters, what kind of story beats. Yeah. To a certain degree, you're going to get from writers that you've seen before. All new writers means all new story beats means... Yeah. And that's great. Yes, yeah. Uh, and, and the interviews they gave in the magazine all seemed very positive. And I think a few, a few were talk, sort of talking about being fans as well. Yeah, but, but it must be kind of have to when you get interviewed by Doctor Who magazine. But it must be getting to the stage where there aren't many writers in, no, in this country or not. It's, <laughs> it's writers who who are fans of the old series rather than fans of a new series. If that makes sense. So well, now this saying. feels like a new generation, apart yeah, from yeah. Chibnall, a new generation and possibly Mary Blackman. One of them, if I remember rightly, it might have been Peter McTie or Ed Heim mm. mentioned watching Paradise Towers and getting freaked out by that when it was a Okay, kid. yeah, I remember that. Yeah, so we're but, I now, mean, that's we're now, so late in the classic we're series. We're now very much, which is again... Ex- a good thing. A good thing, exciting thing. So, yeah. Yeah, you could say that the last few years have been perhaps a little bit too deferent to the classic series? Possibly. I mean, it's certainly... I wouldn't, it's, I wouldn't have said so, but I think you can certainly look at the last few years and see that if you want to see it. I mean, the the impression I always... I got from the end of Russell T. Davis and the end of Stephen Moffat is they kind of let their fan hair down a little bit yeah, and just think, well, I am going to do a sequel to Genesis of the Daleks now or I am going to have a big Gallifrey set yeah, story. Yeah. And Russell T. Davis did the same thing, so I will bring back Master. Um, but these, sort of, yeah. these names feel like, more than any other time, it's it's the kind of the detaching of of the series from the old series. Now it feels like it's it's not going to feed feed from the old series anymore. It feels like well, a at new least thing. for a year, yeah, because. Yeah. Well, Russell T. Davis started more or less in that way. And Stephen Moffat kind of did too, although he had the Silurian story. Yes. And it sort yeah. of and it seeps back in. But this this no I mean going to a bit. But I think this time I think I mean it in terms of the people behind it as Do well. You know the most interesting thing in that line of thinking is actually um Chris Chibnall's open air appearance from nineteen eighty six. Right. Because what he was complaining about from that open-air interview was the fact that 
in the trial of a Time Lord, they were defaulting to doing the classic Doctor Who story right. without bringing anything new to it, without using the format of the program to try new things. Mm. And I think his criticism really was that basically Doctor Who was starting to eat itself, to yeah. use the popular expression. Yeah, And I think actually... If you were to ask him, if you'd have asked him three years later, he'd say, now Doctor Who's getting back to what it should be doing. And and the reason why I brought that up is because I think, therefore, the head that Chris Chibnall is bringing to the programme is, you've got 45 minutes or 50 minutes, as it's going to be. You've got a completely blank slate. Mm. As long as you tell stories where there's some kind of alien threat or whatever... The sky's the limit over what you actually do with that format. Yes. Format. Yeah. So, um, and it's more presumably more exciting for a, for a writer as well to have that. I mean, it's more frightening to have a blank slate, but for a showrunner leading a team of new writers to have that kind of that kind of feeling of being, you know, dislocated feeling of being. But it's just, not such a blank new. slate, is it? Because well, this is what I'm saying. You've kind of got that standard format that there has to be some kind of alien invasion or threat. Yeah. So that's the thing that unblanks the slate just enough that the rest of it being blank to fill in as you see fit yeah. kind of becomes excitement, mm. ra- exciting rather than frightening. Yes. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Because if it was an entirely blank piece of paper and you were told to go and write 50 minutes of television with no clue, yes, that would be what the hell do you do? But you say, okay, you must have some kind of alien threat and you must have a character who flies through time and space in a blue police box. Do you know what I yes. mean? Yeah. You throw in the very basics of Doctor Who mm. and what sh- might have been terrifying to a writer actually becomes really exciting to a writer, I yeah. think. Yeah. yeah. Should we go through... Should we look at some of the things that people have said? Okay. Um... Well, the first thing I've got to... I mean, I've got them down on here in a random order, pretty much as I... Should we do the... Actually, should we start with the BBC press release that they put out? Yes. Because they put out a press release for episode two. Right, yeah. Because we obviously had found out the title of the first episode. Actually, we found that out since the last time we recorded on this podcast. Right. So, The Woman Who Fell to Earth, what do you think? That's a pretty. It's almost a predictable title. Um, yeah, but it's got. But do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing? No, I don't think it's a. I don't think it's a bad thing. I think. Um, so I mean, so it's referencing Bowie, the man yeah, who yeah. fell to earth, and that film is is quite a. It's an interesting film. It's a fresh film. Again, it's a new film. So I I don't think you could push it too far. It's just a. It's just a. A sort of a nod towards the title. Oh, yeah. Well, we've got a small synopsis here as well. Yeah. If you want me to read it out. But I was just thinking about the title. Yeah. But actually, that's quite a, a sort of left field film. So to reference yeah. something that is fairly left field in your mm. title as opposed to something. Because, I mean, let's, other titles have been referenced, things like A Christmas Carol or yeah. Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Man Who Fell to Earth is way more left field than either of those things. Yeah. 
So actually, if you're going to reference something in your title, because everybody does know the title, but I don't suppose everybody's seen the film. Yeah. So it hits you straight in the face, oh, I realise what they're doing there. Yeah. But then... But then, because most people won't have seen the film or won't be as au fait with it as, say, a lot of the rest of us might be, you get the title, you get what it's doing, but you don't get any more than that. Yeah. So it doesn't actually give you any other idea than no. that this is going to follow up on what happened at the end of Twice Upon a Time. Yeah. The synopsis for that one says, We don't get aliens in Sheffield. Which, by the way, is my home city. Yeah. yeah. And that episode's being broadcast on my 50th birthday. It's almost like Chris Chibnall looked into my head and said, what do we do to make JR happy? Okay. He says, or the synopsis says, we don't get aliens in Sheffield. In a South Yorkshire city, Ryan Sinclair, Yasmin Khan and Graham O'Brien are about to have their lives changed forever as a mysterious woman, unable to remember her own name, falls from the night sky. Can they believe a word she says? And can she help solve the strange events taking place across the city? And, well, that's about it. Really. Yeah, that's a fairly... Yeah. No, no, no. That sounds good. I quite like it, though, because there are lots of different ways you can do a first Doctor Who story. Yeah. And, you know, we saw Stephen Moffat do something fairly similar about yes. a person who falls from the sky yeah. and sort of crash lands into somebody's life. Mm-hmm. But we saw him do that in a way that deliberately messed about with the formula. Right. So in the 11th hour, we had that whole Amy Pond at 12, 19 and 21 or whatever it was. Yeah. So to do this in a much more standard way yeah. and to do it while strange things are already happening in the city mm-hmm. says... Plus the title, which is kind of a slightly Moffaty title, yeah. In that the eleventh hour did a fairly similar thing. Mm-hmm. So to put all that together, that sounds like the best of both worlds. The eleventh hour meets the tone yeah. of the eleventh hour yeah. meets the substance of Spearhead from Space. Yeah, and I think it, was, it has to have. Well, I mean, the number of supporting, the number of friends or or companions. Yeah. Rather than just Amy Pond, now we've got three, so it has to be told. I mean, it's a lot of work it's going to do in introducing each of them, so the story's going to be told through their collective eyes, you would assume. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But not in the same way that Moffat did with Amy Pond, which, which, is, that, which is the same turning her into the yeah. story. So, i tell you what, though, from the minute clip we saw, the bit that escaped, yeah. and we might as well talk about that, because let's face it, most people have seen it. Yeah. So, um... Ryan Sinclair, is that, am I getting the names right? Ryan Sinclair and Yasmin Khan are already working together on something. Right. Presumably working together on a mystery. So the interesting thing is where Bradley Walsh's character comes in, Graham O'Brien. Yeah. So the other two presumably already know each other, even if not well. Mm -hmm. And then he presumably comes in in a slightly different way. So yeah, he's telling it through three pairs of eyes, but he's already... Yes. He, he seems to have already narrowed that down to two to simplify it. And we were talking ages ago about the possibilities for Bradley Walsh's character and who he might be. And I'm, I'll say one thing about him. Yeah. Apparently he's married. Yeah, I recurring... just read, that's what I was just reading. Oh, yeah. A, a recurring cast. It's his wife. Uh, Sharon D. Clark. Yeah. Yeah, apparently. And that's quite... 
So it's different. Well, that's from... interesting if he's going to so, be going so, yeah. off travel. So, yeah. so Rose has a boyfriend, but leaving your boyfriend behind to go backpacking across time and space is one thing. Leaving your wife behind yeah. to go travelling with a, a woman who's <laughs> a female doctor. That's going to be an interesting... Yes. I mean, that's an interesting dynamic right there. Although, I'm wondering, because they're having the um, press... Um, screening in Sheffield. Right. So I'm wondering if Sheffield's going to form a major backbone to the series in the same way as London did in... Um... Russell T. Davis's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So it could be that they come back, well, presumably, especially if Sharon D. Clarke is going to be a recurring oh, yeah. best character. Yeah. We'll see her every fourth episode or something. Yeah. So that could be very interesting. Yeah. That could, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you're right, going off to leave your wife is certainly a lot different from going off to... I mean, it, suggest, it suggests to me possibly more of a sort of an Ian and Barbara situation where, and I'm only speculating, I mean, they might be like estranged, an estranged couple, and it might not be a... But if they're, if they're happily actually, married, yeah. and Bradley Walsh goes off with the Doctor involuntarily, and there's some issue with getting getting him back, or getting him back for a sustained period of time. I don't know how they're going to do it. No. Well, that's what good. Did, yeah, I yeah, might yeah, not no, know no, how they're going to do things. Yeah. Well, we might as well talk about the TARDIS then, because they. I've not on this sheet. I've not got all the quotes because there've been like half a dozen interviews in the last two or three days. Right. With more to come across the next couple of days, because we're recording this before we've seen um, the new DWM, which yeah. will probably have a bit more in it. And before, obviously, the Radio Times launch issue, which might have the list of titles. Yeah. So we've only got titles for the first two episodes as we record. Mm. So there may be more, but for what we know, it's nice knowing so little. Yes. And the TARDIS, they're trying to make a thing of the last time we saw the TARDIS, it was blowing up and kicking the Doctor out. Yeah. Will they get it back is sort of the question that's being asked. But episode two, well, let me do the um, synopsis for episode two, which is called The Ghost Monument. Also Mm -hmm. is written by Chris Chibnall. It says, still reeling from their first encounter, can the Doctor and her new friends stay alive long enough in a hostile alien environment to solve the mystery of desolation? And just who are Angstrom and Epso? Well, if they're in a hostile alien environment, I'm guessing they get the TARDIS back by the end of episode one, right? Yes, you'd assume. Because otherwise, for the four of them to be on an alien planet would seem a bit of a stretch without the use of the TARDIS. Yeah. So we don't know, but that seems pretty basic. And interesting, going by what you were saying about the template for a Doctor Who story being so long as there are aliens in it who are hostile. Yeah. This I mean, could, yeah. This could basic, this yeah. but this description makes me think more of the Rings of Akaton or the Keys of Marinus. That sort of it it feels like from this brief description, and I don't know anything about it, but he's taken this from Sheffield in the first episode to somewhere completely alien, exactly in the way yeah. that Russell T. Davis didn't want to do in his first series, probably yes. for economic and technical technical reasons. But now it's got to the stage where you can, you can have a completely alien environment. Just to show how alien yeah. it can get. Yeah. So yes. it's that, it, that, that immediate kind of cutting the ties to... Yeah. I was going to make the, the same point myself. Because the character names 
for the last 13 years, if you go off-world, you still get characters, if they're humans, with recognisable human Dave. names. But yeah, exactly. Silent Dave and not yeah. Silent Dave or whatever they were. Yeah. But to have two characters called, uh, what did I say they were? Angstrom, Angstrom and, Epso. and Epso, yeah. yeah. I tell you what, though, the most exciting thing about that episode, possibly, is the guest cast. Yeah, Susan, Susan Lynch. Lynch. Susan Lynch is great. I don't know Susan Lynch, I don't think. Uh, no, I looked her up on Wiki. Right. And I sort of half recognised the face, but I couldn't think of anything I'd seen her in. Yeah. So she's a bit of a new one to me. She's Irish, obviously. I remember her from Cracker. Mostly yeah. she was in an episode of Cracker. Oh, really? She does lots of sort of character guest yeah, right. I've presumably seen her in stuff. I just can't put yeah. her together with anything. Sean Dooley, on the other hand. Yeah. I've yeah. seen him in a lot of things. He's great. He's been in Doctor Who, hasn't he? Before. Sean Dooley. Yeah. Or am I thinking of someone else? No, I think you're thinking of... Um, possibly. You're not thinking of Sean Dingwall? Possibly. All right. But Sean Dooley is the sort of slightly round-faced one who'll often play... Was he, the, was he in The Second Coming? Possibly. No. Okay. Oh, not that I know of. He was in the second series of Broadchurch. Um, maybe that's what I'm thinking. He was in an episode of Gently. He was in, apparently, I didn't realise this, Coronation Street for something like six years. Right. And he was also a recurring character in EastEnders as well. Okay. But the things I know him for are probably dramas and stuff that he's done. Obviously, Broadchurch. I've seen him in a lot of things. Though. Benidorm, Coronation Street. Yeah, I've Five seen... Days. Apparitions, that's what I was thinking of. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So apparitions was a was a it's it's the one with Martin Shaw playing uh, a Roman Catholic priest. Oh yeah, 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 I've seen it. Yeah, yeah. And Sean Dooley plays basically Satan, which is why I think he's the Second Coming. Of course he does, and yes. he does it really well as well. Yeah, so you yeah. see Sean Dooley, and you think he's not going to he's not going to be a sinister character in this, and he turns out to be the possessed. Yeah. Yes, of course. Which yeah. bodes well for. Yeah. yeah, but I get the impression, if it says, um, solve the mystery of desolation and just who are Angstrom and Epso. Mm. Do you know, this will probably be completely wide in the mark. Okay. Here's this planet called Desolation, maybe. Right. Where, oh, we've seen yeah. a clip in the trailer, right, of a planet where there are lots of crashed spaceships. Right. So I'm assuming maybe Angstrom and Epso, and they both have names that sound as if they're are intended to be from different planets. Oh, and the other guest cast member... It's Art Malik. Wow. Yeah. Art Malik is just yeah. wonderful, isn't he? So maybe you've got Sean Dooley as a kind of slightly wide boy type who's the survivor of one crash spaceship. Right. And Art Malik is a slightly... Well, if he's playing to type, he's probably play a slightly mysterious, quiet, you're not sure of type character. Yeah. From another crash spaceship. <laughs> if he's playing to type, he'll probably play a Middle Eastern terrorist. Well, <laughs> but, that's, yeah. but you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah so yeah. you'll get, so it could be, so I'm essentially thinking cross between the start of Brain of Morbius yeah. and something like Galaxy 4. Yeah, with a bit of the Doctor's Wife thrown in. Possibly. Yeah, without the sort of TARDIS thing yeah. from Doctor's Wife, but yeah. Yeah, yeah so I'm, but essentially I'm thinking Galaxy 4. Okay. Okay. So could be totally wider than Mark than that, but but I mean, lots of crash spaceships. You assume the mystery is going to be what's making these spaceships crash, and how can we stop it from happening? So that's episode two. 
Yeah, and that's part of the so that's part of block two, which has episodes two and three in it. And I'm thinking, and that was directed by Mark Tonderay. Now yes. Mark Tonderay is the guy who's famous for, and I didn't look this up, but I read it somewhere. Oh, he did something really quite well known on YouTube or something okay. social media or something or okay. maybe something with a band or something. But is it is there a possible because we know they've filmed in South Africa. This looks like perhaps. And so maybe this is one of the South African yeah, yeah. episodes. And if that's the case, then if both blocks are filmed in South Africa, then. Both the episodes in that block? Yeah, so that suggests that episode three. Is also. South which we Africa. don't know anything about that, might be also set in South. or filmed in South Africa. I wonder, <laughs> instead, because episode three then you would expect to be a historical. An what, historical what date story. is it? What date is episode three on? So what's. what's 21st of October. 21st of October. So my my theory is to do with, so I don't know, is, is this part of the guest, uh, the, the same press release has other cast listed, which gives clues to Oh, not stories. this press release. Is that, no, is that still a secret? Um, no. So I, I don't know what's a spoiler and what isn't a spoiler. No, if you've seen it. So Alan Cumming plays King James I. Right, that's so not my, a press release, that is a spoiler. Okay. But, but okay, spoiler... Alan Cumming plays James the First, but he released that information himself. Okay, so it's not really okay. a spoiler; it's in the public domain. So if he's playing King James the First, then November three. is that in episode three? Well, I'm just saying that's what it looks like. But no, go I on. think I think he played King James the First on November the fourth, because the one main event in King James the First that would make a really good Doctor Who setting is the gunpowder plot. And if you're going to have episodes released. Over the bridge yeah, yeah, over yeah. November the fifth, then the gunpowder plot would be, and this is just a wild guess. But James the first, I mean, we got either well, witchcraft, about... witchcraft, or the gunpowder plot. I suspect witchcraft's more likely. Except they sort of done that. Yes, with there are ways of doing it, and yeah. that was, let's face it, twelve years ago. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's just the gunpowder plot and the fact that there is an episode the day before the fifth of November. Yeah, just so but, tempting. But also that would make that episode five, which means they'd have to break format to do it. Which, I mean, they can. Yeah. There's nothing yeah. to stop them. Well, so episode three, because we also know... Now, do and I don't know if this, this might be a spoiler as well. Oh, go on, show me what's on there's your phone. Possi- there's a possibility. Well, there's a general... Are you going to say th- something about Rosa Parks? Yeah, there may be a story with Rosa Parks, which would make it an historical, and that's what they filmed in South Africa. So this ni- 1950s America... Yes, could be. And that would mean that would be episode three. Yeah. And then... And actually, now you mention it, I think I read somewhere something that suggested that Rosa Parks would be likely to be early. Right. Okay. So maybe. And that would make but sense. But the only thing I was going to say about King James the First yeah. is, if you're going to do a gunpowder plot episode, mm. then King James the First probably wouldn't actually really be in it, because you'd be telling it about the plotters rather than about the person they're plotting yeah. against. Possibly. Possibly. I'm just saying that as a... So that might rule it out. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I it, did. It, was a pl- it was a plot to kill the king. Yeah, I know. So, but, but you don't necessarily so, have to have the king in the story. No, no. Because, I mean, they've done... They, they've done... They, they did the gunpowder plot as a novel. Yes. And I yeah. don't think... Well, I, and read, 
I read half the novel twice and both times had to stop for some reason and couldn't get back to it in time not to go back to the start. They also did it as a computer game, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, on the surface, it's not it's not the, the richest source for dr- drama. Especially not if but they're going to introduce an alien element. But it depends what you do. So if it's, yes. in, the, if it's in the background and that kind of threat in the background, yeah, then yeah, you could yeah. probably have witches and the gunpowder plot. Um, I did read somewhere a suggestion of what they were going to do with James I, and actually I don't think it was either of those two things, but we'll see. Okay. But that is all that we have officially about actual episode titles and what's known about the episodes. Okay. We do know a couple of other cast people who are coming up. Yeah. We don't know who they play, but they're both names that it's well worth mentioning, and they could obviously be in small parts, but one of them's Lee Mack. Mm Mm-hmm. So... I wouldn't assume he's going to be a lead in an episode. Because I don't think Lee... I could be wrong, but I don't think Lee Mack's got a massive acting experience, has he? No. I mean, he's got... I mean, he does a, a sitcom where he basically plays Lee Mack. Yeah, yeah. So this, this, as far as I'm aware, would be a departure. Yeah. But yeah. But you yeah. don't know. Yeah. Plus, if they're trying to keep a light tone, mm-hmm. and everything suggests that they're trying to keep a light tone and keep it fairly straightforward, yeah. then maybe... To use Lee Mack in that kind of a part, yeah, maybe. possibly. Or the other, might, the other way might be true that you you get comedians in, like Bradley Walsh himself, um, when he did the Sarah Jane Adventures. They they got him to play the most yeah, play creepy, type, sinister clown. Yeah, so you get them to play against type. Yeah, yeah, and and that might be of interest to Lee Mack, I guess. Mm. That if he's trying to sort of can't see him, but then maybe that's. Maybe yeah. that's the point. You can't yeah. see him doing that, and maybe that's what makes it more effective if he does. Yeah. The other name is Mark Addy, mm. and that's quite a big name. Yeah. He's yeah. got... Uh, I could be wrong, but Mark Addy's got a bit of a film career, hasn't he? He was at Flintstone. Was he? he was, um, but he's done other films too, I'm sure of it. Yeah, I mean, he's got a career in America. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So he's quite... Particularly a... now, I mean, he was one of the one of the headline names in Game of Thrones first get series of Game of Thrones. Oh, was he? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So well, it was him and Sean Bean were the kind of the... Oh, were they? Right. The big, yeah. Not the big names, but but they certainly got onto the, the opening a credits. a really good actor and a bit yeah. of a catch yeah. for the series. Yeah. Alan Cumming's a bit of a catch for the series. Yeah. He's a terrific actor. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, all this is impressing me so far. Yeah. Because with the... But here's the thing. With Russell T. Davis, you'd get these guest stars... But you tend to have one or maybe two a series, really. Yeah. Named guest stars. And with Stephen Moffat, I don't know whether it's just my um, sort of um, the way I saw it, but it seemed to me that there was slightly fewer. Yes. Although you would get names like um, not Simon Pegg, the other one playing Santa. Oh, um, Nick Frost. Nick Frost playing Santa. You would occasionally get ones like that. Mm. Most of the time, the Moffat ones... Had good actors, yes, very good actors, but not name actors. But to be to be honest, I've never, when I hear the actors who are going to be in these things, my instinct is either, oh, good, I know them as an actor, or I've never heard of them. Yeah, it'd yeah. be interesting. I've never actually heard of a bad. Maybe I just don't see, don't distinguish between bad actors and good actors. I can't think of an actor that I would think would be bad in Doctor Who. Okay, no, that's not really the point I'm making. The yeah. point I'm making is they seem to be 
trying to, or they seem to be sticking a handful of names in there. Yeah. As if, so as they can each week say, oh, and look who's in the trailer for next week's episode. Right, yeah. So that the viewers will be saying, oh, that's Mark Addy. Oh, that's Alan Cumming or whatever. And maybe a lot of the viewers might not necessarily know these actors by name, but they'll certainly recognise the faces. Yeah. You know, there's no way... uh, a sort of great British public audience won't recognise Lee Mack, for example, mm. or even Art Malik. Yeah. I shouldn't have thought. So it's almost as if they're uh, deliberately choosing named, recognisable face mm-hmm. actors so that they can throw them in the trailers. And unlike necessarily, say, the stunt casting that John Nathan Turner did, mm. which I think has been way overplayed in the way people talk about it. Yeah. But if you are writing a kind of Doctor Who that lends itself to allowing you to cast people like that without them being, you know, without them sticking out like a sore thumb, then why not? Of course go for it. Of course put those faces in. And if it helps to promote the series, then... It's a a weird thing about that. It's off topic. The J&T stunt casting. Yeah. I don't mind... Beryl Reed or Joan Sims, no, or no, Ken Dodd. No, for me, that's that's now those characters. Yeah, so I yeah. can't imagine the Beryl Reed character being played by. I'm not a big fan of Earthshock anyway, but the Ken Dodd character being played by anybody else. Yeah, yeah. That's although funny enough, he was second choice, wasn't he? He was. Yeah, yeah, but it doesn't matter. No, the point still stands. Yes, yeah, and they all and the the one that a lot of people seem to go on about is Halen Pace in. And again, again, they, 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 they rode apart for two shopkeepers yeah. who were a couple of comedy characters who were in about three scenes. Yes. And Hale and Pace did it perfectly. What's the and issue? They, they did it perfectly. And also, Survival was a particular case because it was so full of, so laden with metaphor. Yeah. That actually it wasn't just light scenes they did, but they, they yes. actually were part of this. Yeah. They yeah. were just there just for that, to, to tell that story. Mm-hmm. And that, is something Doctor Who doesn't often do is just sacrifice the scene just to kind of like ram home a metaphor. Yeah, yeah. So they had even more important role. Um, but anyway, okay, I'm gonna throw a couple of things. Well, here's one thing that kind of is a spoiler, but but this is just something that I read somewhere and I thought I'd bring this up just because it's fairly interesting mm. and may not be true and doesn't really tell you anything anyway. Okay. But there apparently is going to be a story with a pregnant man. Oh, okay. Right. We, and the reason why I think that's interesting is because, although some of the promotion has been a bit heavy-handed, mm. I think that glass ceiling trailer was a bit <laughs> perhaps misjudged. I didn't know <laughs> I but didn't mind it. No, I, I, think I didn't mind it. I didn't sort of on the nose, but... Yeah, but, but but the reason I think it's maybe misjudged is because people like you and me aren't going to mind it. But yes. people who are going to mind it are going to be really put out by yes. it. Yeah. So why do it? I I think it was probably... I don't think they would have done it if there hadn't been a kind of a, a sort of a small Twitter outcry and a continuing sort of... Twitter response to the idea of yeah, but the way doctor. to yeah, but the way to deal with that is to ignore it, not to inflame it. 
it depends how. I mean, Moffat made a career of of sort of occasionally teasing fans. Yes, but there's a difference between teasing and sort of shoving something in their face. And yeah. I think this trailer rather shoves it in their face. I know, but the reason why I think it's misjudged is because the series, from the minute we saw in that clip, yeah. and from everything else that we're hearing and seeing in the trailers and that, yeah. it seems to be going out of its way to say... This isn't a big deal. No, the glass ceiling's already been smashed at the point yeah. where the 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 Jodie Whittaker was announced. Yeah, that that's done now. So and so yeah. it's not necessary. It just seemed no. a bit of a strange choice to me. Yeah. Um. Oh, but but so the reason I brought that up is so the minute we saw and the the regular trailers and everything else seemed to be sort of saying, you know, the fuss has happened. Yeah. It's just going to be a woman. None of the other characters are going to know that she was ever a man. So we're just not going to deal with it unless it becomes necessary. And there's even a story out there somewhere. Um, apparently Chris Chibnall said most of the writers didn't even realise they were writing for a woman doctor. It goes further than that. I mean, what's written here? Go on. It says that Chibnall never told any of the writers. Yes. And it sounds like he did that on purpose. Well, he says he did that. For secrecy. Because, yes, but... for secrecy. But but the side effect of that is mm. what I've always said is that when you're writing the Doctor, you're writing a completely gender neutral character anyway, yeah. unless you're writing a romantic story with a character like Rose. Yeah. But even then, you could switch the genders of those two characters, and it would still effectively work the same. Yeah. So the Doctor is essentially a gender neutral character and always has been. Yeah. And the great thing about not telling the writers that they're writing for a woman rather than the man is that just kind of proves the point yeah. that the yeah. Doctor's a gender neutral character. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing I'm saying is, if you're going to do a story about a pregnant man and another episode about Rosa Parks, not necessarily Rosa Parks so much because that was more to do with race than... Um, Gender. Gender. Yeah. But it kind of touches in the same area of emancipation. Right. So if you put a story about emancipation together with a story about a pregnant man, that does seem to be, okay, so we might not address it at first, but we're addressing it further down the line. Maybe not by addressing it head on, but by telling stories where it's relevant. Yeah. Because a story about a pregnant man kind of touches on the same issue that people are having with the doctor being a woman. So did, just out of interest, so at the bottom here, because we're reading off the same piece of paper, did you write these sentences or did you get them from... No, I've copied and pasted everything. So it doesn't say it's a story about a pregnant man, it says it's a story with, with a, a pregnant, pregnant man. man. Sorry, yeah, so, yeah. so actually, it could, it could be a, it could be a big thing or it could just be an in-joke, like ben, be. Benton in a nappy, that, yeah, that kind be, of thing. Be, yeah. Or it could just be a far future thing. Yeah, yeah. With the pre- yeah. Well, yeah, we heard about the face of Bo having babies, didn't we? Yeah. So, yeah, it's not like it doesn't have precedent within and the series. And the only reason I make that distinction is because the next one is the story about Rosa Parks. Ah, and the right, story yeah. with a with the pregnant man. No. But, yeah, I. there might be a sort of a... I mean, he's he's talking about this series being the most diverse. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's possible... Or as diverse that, as Doctor Who gets. Yeah, so it's possible they will they will sort of reference these things. Yeah. But probably not directly, I think. They'll just they'll just do it as part of the maybe, story. Maybe. Talking about diversity though. Okay. Here's a question. Do you think 
we might actually get a series without a story arc across the 10 episodes at all. Because although you have to think that Chris Chibnall will be tempted to do one, mm. because let's face it, this is his first year now, and if you've got an idea for a story arc, you're bound to want to use it. Yeah. But I'm wondering, because he's not using the Daleks or the Cybermen or anything else from the past. It's supposed to be this completely yeah. blank slate where we're having a whole year with nothing old. And I'm wondering if that extends to, so let's do a year without a story arc at all. And then we can bring back the story arc next year and we yeah. can bring back the Daleks or whatever. So next year... And the year after that, we can have the Doctor Who that people are used to. Mm. But let's give them just one series of Doctor Who that they're completely not used to. I mean, so the, that's possible. I would say that Chibnall's writing in the past has been built around stories. So Broadchurch is basically story arc on story arc. But that's a serial. Yeah. And he has written five Doctor Who stories that, although... Um, the Hungry Earth one and 42 mm. both bring in the story arc in a big way. Yeah. The plots themselves aren't to do with the no, story that's arc. That's true. So in terms of Doctor Who, he can do it without story arc. And there will, but there will be ongoing... There, there must be ongoing stories because of the nature of how it's... Because there's a recurring, well, there's a a recurring yeah, character. Yeah, yeah. So... It's but it might not be an arc in terms of the science fiction no. plot. No, so there might be an arc in terms of the characters yeah, that yeah. are there. Maybe well, that's, that's the distinction I'm making. Yeah. I'm saying, will there be an ongoing science fiction story arc? Right. And I'm saying, well, I'm not saying I'm predicting there won't be, but I'm saying, judging by all the pre-publicity we've had, I'm about 50-50 on whether I think okay. there will be or not. I'm, I've am i gone from expecting there to be one to sort of thinking, well, I'd be... I wouldn't be remotely surprised if there wasn't. I think there'll still be one because I think that's that's kind of how television works. works these yeah, days. but if there's that's something old-fashioned about having having a series where you can sort of just take the stories in any order. But if that's how television works, then the way you distinguish yourself is by not doing it. Possibly. I mean, it's it's the way the story works, but it's also. It's also a good thing. I, I think it's actually a positive step for television. So now yes. nowadays, I find it difficult to watch something like Magnum or Knight Rider. Where it because, resets, yeah. Because they're completely enclosed stories. Doctor Who is different because of the episode structure. I can watch four episodes of Doctor Who and feel like I've inhabited yeah. a world. But with Knight Rider, and it's the same with sitcoms, where they're just sort of enclosed and then they reset. I find that slightly nightmarish. Yeah, like it's characters that aren't going anywhere. Yeah, and again, it's characters, but I just think story arcs and that sort of ongoing, that ongoing story. Well, yeah, but here you get the best of both worlds because yeah. the characters would be That's developing, yeah. but they just wouldn't be some kind of science fiction plot bubbling away in the background. That's true. It's possible. So I don't know. I'm just saying, I see that as a bit of a fifty-fifty at the moment. Yeah. Um. There's a few quotes about the Doctor being a woman and about Chris Chibnall came to the series and um, it was a stipulation right from the start, but I yeah. think we've had that really. Yeah. Um, there's a nice quote from the New York Times that doesn't really have anything to do with what we're talking about, but I thought I'd read it out. Mm -hmm. He said, Miss Chris Chibnall said to the New York Times when they asked him about 
you know, how quickly he said yes or whatever, taking on the showrunner role. He said, I made a list of pros and cons, and there were ten cons <laughs> and one pro. The one pro being, it's Doctor Who. And the moment I started thinking, oh, we could do that story and have those characters, the show started talking to me. Mm-hmm. And obviously that's the point at which he said yes. I just thought that was quite a nice yeah. quote. In the same interview, he says he wants this version of the series to be, quote, incredibly emotional with stories that resonate with the world we're living in now. Uh, but I also wanted it to be the most accessible, inclusive, diverse season of Doctor Who that the show has ever done. The incredibly emotional thing that yeah. suggests he's doing with the characters what Russell T. Davis did, which yeah. we've already okay. discussed, yeah. coming back to Sheffield, yeah. using that as a touchstone. Resonate, stories that resonate with the world we're living in now suggest they're going to address issues. Well, at the, mo- a... at the moment, there are so many issues with the, with the world. Well, so... if you're going to do a Rosa Parks story, yeah. you're doing an issue that's very current. Right? Yeah, yes. And I, I would imagine... Well, going back to what I was saying about my suggestion for what episode two might be, and while I may be completely way off beam, say you have got um, Sean Dooley as an astronaut who survived one crash and Art Malik, who's an astronaut who survived another. Mm. Say you do a really intelligent, allusional spin on Galaxy 4 that resonates with the stuff that's going on in politics now. Mm. You could touch on themes of Brexit and Trump in that episode without really appearing to do so if the audience doesn't want to see it. That's the kind of Doctor Who I'd tell. With James I, you could touch on themes of Brexit and Trump. Trump. Well, exactly, yeah. So maybe that's what he's doing. Maybe he's telling stories that resonate with um, some of the ideologies that we've got going on in politics and in the world at large at the moment. But that, if you don't necessarily want to see it, hopefully... I mean, I can only speak for myself, but if I was doing it, I'd do it in a way that didn't thrust it in your face. Yeah. But, you know, I don't know what he'll do, but I would just... I would assume if we were trying to do a big, broad-reaching television series like Doctor Who, you wouldn't want to thrust it in people's faces. No. So so maybe that's the thing. There's one more thing on this list, and then perhaps we'll wrap it up. I do have a film review. There's a few. There's a... Well, there's the... Oh, go on. You the, ep- the episode lengths? Well, we've talked about that when they first announced it. 60 minutes with 50 minutes. First episode 60, the yeah. next nine are 50. Okay. I heard a rumour that actually the next nine aren't all 50. Right. Most of them will be, but it'll end with another 60 or even 75, I heard at one point. Okay. And it says here that Christmas special is yet to be confirmed. But well, down, that's only down because... under the blocks and directors, it seems that there's been a director assigned to a Christmas special. Yeah. Nobody's actually said outright there is a Christmas special. Okay, okay. But somebody said to Chris Chibnall at New York Comic Con, is there going to be a Christmas special this year? And he said, well, we finished filming episode 10 a couple of weeks ago and we're now fi- filming an 11th episode. Right. So what do you think? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah. Okay. There is a Christmas special. It's just yeah. that nobody's actually put out a press announcement to say so. Yeah. Um, and the, the one other thing is the list of. The words. Yes. Which uh, 
the we're getting excited about showing you. Yes. Okay. Uh, okay. Let's 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 see what we can construe from this. Well, this was quite a nice interview with Big Finish. Or it was only in Big Finish North, so you couldn't get it down here anyway. Okay. But there was quite a nice interview, but it didn't. It only went over the stuff that we've already heard, the sort of usual promotional stuff about. Yeah. But so they asked him to sort of. Um, Give us little teasers for the series. Okay. He said, we're getting excited about showing you Epso, yeah. which obviously is episode two we've heard. Yeah. A life-changing bike ride. Robertson. Okay. The Ux. Yeah. Umbreen. Okay. Rosa. Yeah. Presumably being Rosa Parks. Yeah. Desolation. Episode obviously two. being the thing in episode two, whether yeah. that's the planet or not, who knows. Kandoka's Moon and Ribbons. Ribbons with a capital R. You see, the two things that excite me there are Robertson and Ribbons, for some reason. <laughs> but Ribbons, I don't know, I don't know. For some reason, Ribbons is speaking to me. I wonder if Kip- Ribbons is rather than, a, is capitalised. So the assumption is it's a character name. Yeah. I wonder if it's a place name. I was thinking Court Jester. Oh, but maybe. malevolent court jester. Suddenly, I'm very freaked out by the idea of a desolation. Is a very Russell T Davis style place name. Yeah. So, uh, in my mind, ribbons goes slightly less Russ. Russell T Davis, but still in the same area place name. But yeah, who knows? Those are the things you said. Life changing bike ride is obviously a scene from one of the episodes. Yeah. The rest of them seem to be things that are going to be in the episode. I mean, Robert, Robertson sounds like a character. Yeah. And a very sort of human... Yeah, yeah. It's got to be a human character. I yeah. hope you get odd, eccentric, quirky characters just popping up for an episode and being a bit mad. Mm. And then you move on. I don't know. We'll see. If it's going to be diverse, the, the thing that I don't want to see is all the characters... The guest characters taking everything very seriously. Right. I'd like to see a bit of quirkiness in the guest characters. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes, yeah. Because in, say, going back to Russell T. Davis, when Charles Dickens turned up, mm. although there was a lot of comedy in and around the character, mm. it was essentially a straight portrayal of Dickens. Right. And then when Victoria turned up, mm. again... It was essentially a straight portrayal of Victoria. Yeah. And the thing I liked about, or not the thing I liked, but one of the things I liked about um, The Impossible Astronaut was when Nixon turned up. Yeah. Suddenly turned everything, you know, if you heard Nixon was going to be in an episode, you'd have certain expectations. Yeah. And it turned all those expectations completely on their head. Right. So I'm not saying that Alan Cumming should come in and, utterly camp it up as James the First. Yeah. But I quite like the quirkiness of Nixon and I don't want to see that disappear. Right. I suspect I suspect Alan Cumming <laughs> in who's a camp actor playing James the First who was a camp king. But he uh, the, the the chances yeah. of him, him camping it up. Sure. But do you know what I mean? To yeah. do it, it there's a certain way you can do it. Yeah. And I'm hoping I see a bit of that certain way of doing it. Yeah. Um, I think that's it, though, really, for what we know and what we can talk about. Is there anything you want to bring up about what you'd like to see the programme do? Not really. I mean, I've just, just they've, happy they've released so little information that I'll do take, you like I'll take that it week by that week. There's so um, information I don't mind now. it. 
I mean, I'm not, I'm not like Lee. I don't. Yeah. If, yeah. if there are spoilers, then I'm quite happy to. I think there's there's a kind of a fetishizing of spoilers, that or fetishizing of secrets that everything has to be really, really kept under wraps. Otherwise, it's somehow going to ruin your enjoyment. If knowing what's going to happen ruins your enjoyment of a piece of television or a film, then the film isn't well made. I think if the film or television relies on surprise, and that's it. But having, having said that, if there's going to be a surprise, I'd rather not know what the surprise is. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, So I don't yeah. like to know how things resolve. Yeah. And I don't like to know if there is going to be a surprise. I don't like to know what the surprise is. Yeah. But in terms of things like episode titles mm. and like a short two-line tracy of yeah. the episode you know the kind of thing that's in the radio times yeah that's fine and also i mean it's 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 the fact that i don't know the styles of the writers and i don't know what that's Chip- more exciting, Chip- styles. Yeah. that's more exciting because it's like if you say it's almost worse if you say what a twist is in the story it's almost worse just saying there's a massive twist in this story and not saying what the twist is. Yeah, or if you say there's, for it, there's yeah. going to be a there's going to be a moment where this story turns on its head halfway through. That's kind of just as annoying as knowing what the story is. Well, but then... with these with these I don't know if they're going to be linear stories or if they're going to be twisty turny stories or some combination of both. I don't know what that kind of tone will be. Could I assume they're going to be more linear, but we don't know until we get there. <laughs> I think they have to be more linear yeah. than Moffat because if you make well, them yeah, less yeah. linear than Moffat, well, then yeah. you are going to start like going in a fifth dimension or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, 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 but yes, I'm, I'm assuming that they go back to a sort of Russell T. Davis style yeah. of uh, storytelling in that respect. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't like to see it go back all the way to Russell T. Davis, sort of in all other respects, but a little bit. Well, I think, I think it's got to the point where, and Russell T. Davis's Doctor Who was groundbreaking at the time, but in retrospect, a lot of it was quite conservative in terms of mm. in terms of television. So there weren't that many flashbacks or yeah, flash forwards yeah. or manipulations of stories in that in that way or narrative in that way. And I suspect that Chibnall will be able to do more of that. I'm hoping, yeah. One and now we create a hybrid between, yeah, between Moffat yeah, yeah. and Russell T. Davis. I I'm hoping one thing he's better at is revol- resolving stories than Russell T. Davis. Right. The number of Deus Ex Machinas that Russell T. Davis pulled out of a hat to resolve stories was just unforgivable, really. Yeah. But yeah. then, you know, well, he he said himself, I think, something along the lines of, I don't care how a story ends as long as you enjoy the journey to get there. And that's yes. fine. Yeah. And to be honest, Yes, I agree with that. And it, it worked. It but it's, yeah, but it's nice if the ending makes sense as well. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I think Chris Chibnall will. i tell you why. Two things. One, we know that um, Power of Three didn't end the way it was supposed to end because of, quote, certain production problems. Right. So they had to throw away the ending and cobble together a new one yeah. out of sequences that already existed on film. Right. Rather than being able to film a new one. Because the production was so tight on um, broadcast deadline. Right. But the other thing is, dinosaurs on a spaceship. Stephen Moffat said to Chris Chibnall, I want you to put dinosaurs on a spaceship. And that's all he said. Yeah. And everybody was expecting 
the dinosaurs on the spaceship to probably not make a great deal of sense. Right. It was just a silly idea. And hey, go with the silly idea or don't go with the silly idea. But your enjoyment of the episode probably rested on the silly idea. And then Chris Chibnall said, well, obviously it's a Silurian spaceship. Mm. And when we watched that episode, this was before you were on the podcast, wasn't yeah. it? But I watched that episode in the company of Lee and Simon. And I think Mark as well, the mm. four of us. And not one of the four of us saw that coming. Right. So, and even though we'd known there was going to be an episode called Dinosaurs on a Spaceship for like months before it came on. Yeah. And if any of us had thought of it, we might have started thinking, well, how would there be dinosaurs on a spaceship? Yeah. But we all said, oh, it's a silly idea. There won't be a decent reason. We're happy to find out when it happens. Yes. What I'm saying is, Chris Chibnall, at least insofar as the four of us were concerned, but that's the only group I've got to to sort of he pulled a rabbit out of a hat and came up with an explanation that made perfect sense it made sense but it's also iconoclastic yes as well Silurians Silurians go down they don't go up yeah 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 so a Silurian spaceship in itself is an interesting twist on Doctor Who but one that makes sense if they can make cryogenic freezing chambers there's no reason they shouldn't make spaceships Yeah. yeah so it made Total and utter sense. Yeah, or submarines. Well, yeah. And he pulled this rabbit out of the hat. And all that, and all, and the only reason I brought that up is it says to me, we're not going to be getting stories with Deus Ex Machina endings. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. He's the kind of writer who's going to make the story make sense in the resolution of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, Broadchurch. Mm. I mean, Broadchurch, he is an intricate plotter. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of, season two or season three I think season two and season three of Broadchurch are Broadchurch was really popular how how can we carry on this story I like season three I haven't seen actually I haven't seen season three oh no season season three is back to season one okay Okay. essentially and it doesn't deal or it does deal in a way that's irrelevant to the main story right essentially with some of the aftermath of the first two series okay, okay. but essentially it's a brand new story with a brand new investigation essentially okay, okay, okay. and it's it's pretty much as good as series one okay i'll give it a go yeah and it well i yeah it's as good as series one i would say okay and even series two while i think that was a bit of a dip i thought the way he ended it was brilliant yeah i thought the last episode of series two of Broadchurch was fantastic yeah so, yeah, he does have, um, unlike Russell T. Davis, who, you know, ended um, Queer as Folk with the car taking off and flying off into space. Yeah. <laughs> but I think Chris Chibnall has more form for making... So I think that just means I'm probably expecting a slightly more satisfying all-round experience. Okay. Fingers crossed. Yeah. I don't think there's anything else to say on it. I got a couple of film reviews I can briefly do. Okay. Which I'll do before we disappear. I watched, I brought this just to remind myself to do it. Okay. Do you want to say the title? Bloody Spear at Mount Fuji. Right, it's a 1950s Japanese film. Right. Well, you've taken it off me now, so you're going to have to say the name of the director, which I was just about to look up and remind myself of. It'll be down at the bottom somewhere, though, Matt. Tomu, uh, Tomu Uchida. Right, Kurosawa Much was a big fan of his. Well, it, says, did... it says... Uh, oh, Ozu. does it say that? Ozu as well, I'm sorry, I'll pass it. Okay. More, more interestingly, Ozu was a big fan. Apparently. Oh, yes. 
Well, he was working in Japan in the 30s. Right. For the Nikatu Studio. Do you know the Nikatu Studio? No. They were a studio that essentially did cheap, sort of American-style knockoff type movies. Right. But within the, well, as you'll know, with Pulp Fiction, within the framework of Pulp Fiction, you've got a lot of scope to um, bring in things like politics. Mm. And the director of Bloody Spear at Mount Fuji actually did quite a lot of political pictures in the 30s. Right. Then in the 40s, he was actually interred in China uh, as part of the Second World War. For about 10 years, he was still interred for a good six or seven years afterwards, I believe. Mm. after the war finished and then <clears throat> after he was released he came back to Japan and this was the first film after he, the first film he made after he came back to Japan right it's essentially a story set in Japanese equivalent of middle ages well 18th 17th or 18th century it's just about a bunch of travelers on the road to mount F- mount fuji mm. and the interactions between those travelers but it's also <coughs> Excuse me. It's also a bit of a political film about the role and the hierarchy of society that revolves around a samurai. Mm. And the way the film ends is that the samurai in question, whose story you're following, kind of makes a transgression. Right. But the story's as much about the samurai servants as it is about the samurai himself. So it's about how this transgression affects the lives of the people around him. So actually, and it's and all this is quite political, but it's done very lightly. Right. And it's, a, it's quite a short film. I think it was only about an hour and a half. Yes. Um, it's very slow moving. And there's not a whole lot of incident in it. But if that sounds like your kind of thing... And if you're into your Kurosawa and your Ozu, it should be right up your alley. In the sense of it being one of the sort of formative films of that Japan generation of sort of Japanese filmmaking. Yes. So I guess, it, despite the fact that I brought it only to remind myself to talk about it, I'm probably going to be leaving it here. Yeah, I'll borrow it. <laughs> I figured as much. Um, the other film is Bugsy Malone. Which hey. everybody will know, and only because it's recently been re-released by ITV Studios, but they're really re-releasing a steelbook. Okay. But all they've essentially done is taken a disc that already exists and stick it in a new box. Right. So if you like Bugsy Malone and you've never bought it on Blu-ray, I'd say it's worth. I don't. Out. I don't own it. I own the soundtrack to it, oh, do you? but not the actual. Oh, classic the actual film. Really good songs. Yeah. Really kind and of And a really catchy. good screenplay. Yeah. I mean, the dialogue in the film is just essential. It's classic. Yeah. I mean, it's an homage, obviously, to sort of 1930s gangster movies like Scarface. Mm. But it's a perfect homage. It's absolutely yes. beat perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And um, even then, Alan Parker's decision to cast it with kids... Mm. So instead of just casting a gangster story with kids, they rewrite the gangster story so that it becomes relevant to the fact that it's kids playing it. Yes. So there are all sorts of beats, particularly in the second half of the story, where it becomes relevant that it's children. Yeah. It's a great, great film. And it's also a it's also about world it's world creation as well. Yeah, yeah. So the detail that yes. Alan yeah, Parker yeah. gets it's almost more so than the old gangster movies. Oh yeah, yeah. Which are quite simple world creation. Although they kind of expect but you, you actually, to know. Yeah. You actually have like 
this film's version of different things and twists on different things. And it's all consistent and yes. it works. Yes. And it's playable as well. It's the sort of thing that, I mean, it's no, it's not a surprise that it's telling that Bugsy Malone has made it onto school stages. Yeah, yeah. The last, I mean, I know my school did a version of Bugsy Malone, and that's just because it's such and an if accessible. I'm not wrong. It's story. currently in the West End, or has been recently. Possibly, I think. Possibly. Yeah, yeah. But it's perfect for the stage. Mm. So it's oh, yeah. kind of, it's kind of. I mean, well, it's not Mary Poppins, but it's that sort of. And it's a nice transfer, despite the fact that it's a fairly old transfer. I think the yeah. original release was actually ten years ago. Right. Um, but it's a nice transfer, mm. and although it's not like um upscale 4K um, restoration or anything like that, mm. it's a nice enough transfer. Yeah. If you don't own it on Blu-ray, I'd say it's, there's not many extras on there. The extras that are on there have already been out on DVD, despite the fact that they were on the original Blu-ray right. as well anyway. But if you don't own it, I'd say it's worth splashing out for the box, because it's a really nice tin as well. Okay. The design on the tin is really nice. I'm saving up for Night of the Demon, which is being released in a big box set. It's already out. Is it? Or yeah. Well, I'm, I'm still saving up for that. I'm saving yeah. up for that in season nineteen. I know. I mean, Night of the Demons had a Blu-ray release before. I'm sure. Possibly, but, possibly. Yeah. but this is this is like the deluxe, the deluxe edition with the extra documentaries and yeah. American version and it's like extended three American or four version. discs or something, isn't it? Something like that. Yeah. 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 Yeah, no, I think there's like a I think it was released a while ago. I'm not yeah. Yeah. Just on a fairly basic Blu ray thing. I could be wrong. Mm. Right, is there anything else or are we knocking it on the head? No, nope, that's it. Okay. I thought we'd be here for less than an hour, but we haven't been. Okay. Maybe well, I'll get rid of that whole section at the start then. We're never here for less than an hour. Yeah, well. Yeah, but mm, yeah, not often. Yeah. About once in every two years. Yeah. Right. Oh, because uh, the operation, there may not be a podcast next week. So we'll probably, if not, be back with the reviews unless... And if there is a podcast next week, then it will probably be something a bit out of left field. Okay. So in two weeks' time, we'll be back to talk about the woman who fell to earth. But until is it, then... Is it two weeks? Uh, it's two weeks from when this podcast will go out. Oh, okay. okay. You twit. <laughs> Blimey. Until then, I was JR. I was Matt. And we'll speak again soon.